Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. All right, 1 John chapter 1, we're gonna, starting at verse 8, says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. All right, so we're back in in 1 John as we journey throughout this, this year, and John begins by making this transition from teaching about who God is, that God is light. And in him there is no darkness. And so last week we talked about that, light and darkness and those, uh, those images that John uses both in the gospel writings and also the epistle writings. And then he shifts into this teaching around sin and interaction with humanity. And he makes this association between uh, sin on one side and truth on the other side is what he says. And one of the things that's, that's always, whenever you're studying the scriptures and hopefully you're doing this on a regular basis, Especially with Paul's writings, we see this to be true. It's, it's in the Gospels. It's a little bit harder to see in the Gospels. It's not as obvious. But whatever is being written about is being written about in, usually in response to something that's going on. And so in these communities and in these cultures, there were people that were actually believing that they had no sin in their life or they had no issue with sin in their life. And so John is trying to write to describe what sin is and that that... that fact is actually not true. And that's a teaching that he wants to correct in those churches as they're going. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at sin and and wrestle with the definition of sin. And then we're going to look at what that response to sin is and how God provided that way through Jesus. One of the most important things we need to know about sin to start off with is that, that sin is absolutely detestable to God. Like God hates sin. It, it's, it's like the opposite of his nature on those two ends. And I'll give you an example. In Jeremiah 44, 4, he says this, Again and again I sent my servants, the prophets, who said, Do not do this detestable thing that I hate. And so God would send his prophets in, in different times to rulers of nations or, or kings, and he would, they would come in to kind of straighten the path as those rulers had veered off those paths, and he's, he's explaining through Jeremiah that he absolutely hates sin that is detestable to him. And to claim to be without sin is to really deny the reality of our world. And the fact that sin is prevalent and sin is, is present in all, all of our lives. And it's a, it's a consequence that we had going back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, where we see the choice that Adam and Eve made. And so we ask ourselves, what is sin? And how do we define sin? Romans 6, 23 does a really profound uh, job of defining it. It says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we see that, that Paul is teaching the, the church in Rome that, that sin leads to death. 
It's the only outcome. There's no other way forward, okay, as human beings. And often when we, the most traditional uh, definition of sin is missing the mark. How many of you guys have heard that definition before, okay? It's actually an Old Testament term. It comes from, from an archery term, the word sin. And, uh, and it means to miss the mark, but not just to miss the mark, but to like miss the bullseye. So literally, if you hit anything else except perfect, then that would be called sin, or hamartia is, is the word that's used there. And, and that's, that's the, the example that's there. Um, but I, I would tell you, in my own life, when I, when I wrestle with <clears throat> sin and how to define sin, to me, that's a really hard definition to wrap my head around and to do something with, okay? Because pretty much it's saying, if you don't hit the bullseye perfection in any aspect of any part of your life, you're sinning. Like, well, that's really discouraging because it feels like all the time and everything I do is a sin. And Paul addresses this. He says in Romans 3.23, he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So literally every single person that comes into this world sins, it's part of the nature of humanity, the fallen nature of humanity. It's not how God created us to be, but it's how things ended up because of disobedience. And, and as you know, however old a human being is, whether it's months old or at the end of their life, um, everyone has sin in their life. And as we, have, we observe, if you have a friendship or a relationship or you're a parent or you go to work or you interact with people at all during the day or you stare in the mirror, you recognize that sin is very prevalent in our culture and our society, even amongst followers of Jesus. And so this is, this is what John is getting at and he's writing at and he's trying to defend against a group of people that are saying something that's in opposition to that. But it's also... And, and this might be confusing, but it's, it's also a part of the beauty of what it means to be human. Okay? It belongs. It has a place. It wasn't a part of God's original plan or, or design or what he wanted, but God is so masterful in, in taking broken things and making them whole or restoring hard situations. And so God uh, is, is often said is the great recycler. He takes things that need to be fixed or changed or transformed, and if, if we allow that to happen, that's exactly what he does. There's this beautiful um, definition that, that I want to shift to uh, outside of missing the mark is a definition, but James actually, in the book of James, I think he kind of redefines sin in a way that I think is, is much more palatable for us to understand. In James chapter 4, verse 17, he says this, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do, and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So this is, I think, for me, this is more helpful than missing the mark. And let me tell you why. Um, essentially what James is saying is, as a human being, God created you for a purpose and a meaning. And if you don't hear anything else from me this morning, hear that. That you were created for a purpose. That God has a plan for your life, and he has a purpose for your life. And when we step, when we when part of what it means to be human is to go on a journey or a path of discovering what that truth is of how God made you to be, okay? What Jesus calls fullness of life. Um, and if we aren't living in that place, if we aren't discovering who we are and living into that truth, then I think what, that's what James would describe as sin. And so our goal and our invitation of life is to discover who we are, which is the truth of what God says about us, 
and then to live out of that truth, the reality of the plan that God laid before us. And if we're doing that, we're living according to the will of God. But if we're not doing that, then we're, we're living in sin and we're missing that mark, so to speak, going back to that, that definition. And in verse 10 in, in 1 John 1, John says, if we, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. John says to anyone who does not come to terms with the fact that they have sin in their life and realize that they don't carry the truth of God in them and that they actually make God out to be a liar. And I think the reason he says this is, is that you know, God made a plan and made a way through, through Jesus, and we're going to get to that in a couple of verses. But if you say that you have sinned or you don't have that problem of sin in your life, then essentially you're saying there was no need for, for Jesus to come and make amends for that, which there was. And so you're calling, essentially calling God a liar for doing what he did. And then he gets to this point, which, which I think is a brilliant verse. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I, I am so grateful for um, kids ministry people. Okay? So if you're serving in the kids ministry right now, I'm so grateful for you. I had a fifth grade teacher at church, in the kids' ministry of the church that I grew up in. And he put, this, he put this verse on the wall. And he said, if anybody memorizes this verse and comes and tells it to me at the end of class, every Sunday, I will give you a lollipop. And Jimmy liked lollipops. Still does. Jimmy likes sugar. And so the, the, it was the... It was a mixture between the Holy Spirit and sugar that called to me and invited me to memorize this scripture. And then he had another one on the wall too. It was 1 John 5, 11 through 13, which we'll get to at the end of 1 John, um, the book of 1 John. Also, those, but those two verses are, those two sections of verses are profound truths of God. And what I didn't know it at the time was I was taking in to my very being, to my soul, truth as a five-year-old or excuse me, in fifth grade. And I'd given my life to Jesus when I was six, but I kind of was in that mixture of, of doing whatever I wanted in my life at that point. It wasn't until um, right before high school that I rededicated my life and really passionately began to follow hard after God. But I, I took this in, and I memorized it. And I am so eternally grateful to that man that I did. Because what this taught me was any time that I screwed up, any time that I missed the mark, any time that I did what I wasn't supposed to do, that forgiveness was right there. And the invitation to be forgiven was, was right in front of me at all times. And it would just come to me. At, at the time that I needed it the most, this verse would come to me in my life, and it transformed my life, this verse. Listen to, to what he says. One of the things, he says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, talking about God, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. One of the things that we have to realize is, is that this is the word of God, and God keeps his promises. So if God tells us something is true, it's true. And if God says he will do it, he will do it. That's what it means to be just. To be just means to do the right thing. And it means to be faithful, which means he's going to follow through on what he says that he will do. And so knowing that that is true, listen to what Exodus says. Because Exodus 34, 
And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. All throughout Scripture, there's a theme of God forgiving God's people. From Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, that is there. It never stops, it never ceases, and actually, what's fascinating is the greater the, the sin of, of God's people, the greater the response and the love of God. He rises to, to meet those things, okay? And, and there was no point ever that God's people out the forgiveness of God and the love of God. And we have, we have to believe that that's true within our very being, in our very lives, and live as though that's true. And that's the invitation. So if God says that in his word, which we just read and he does, it means to be just and to be faithful is to follow through with what he says. Does that make sense? Okay. And if he doesn't follow through with what he says, that he himself is a liar, we know that God cannot lie because God's word tells us that. And that's the experience that we have. So he makes these promises, and we know that we could, we could bank these promises, okay? He, but he says, if we confess. So that love and forgiveness is literally constantly there, and it is released as we interact with it. It's always for us, and it always is upon us, but we don't experience it to the extent. It's like uh, money put in the bank, okay? So literally, you can have a million dollars in the bank, but if you don't know how to pull that out, you'll starve to death. Right? I mean, that's, that's the reality. And so forgiveness is money set in the bank, and it's right there for you, and we have the ability to draw on that, and that's the word confession. And when we confess our sins, so there's an action that we have to partake in, and then that forgiveness, boom, interacts with us right away. And that word confess means to come into agreement with in the Greek. Homo legeo is what it is. And so confession literally means to come into agreement with how God sees that given situation. So when we miss the mark, when we fail to be who God created us to be, our truest selves, fully alive in Christ, and we come before the Lord and say, Lord, I missed it here, or forgive me for this, or or, I confess this, what we're doing is we are agreeing with the Lord that we missed that there. Does that make sense? And essentially, so God has this way of being and, he, and, he, and he, a standard of which he wants us to live by. And when we fail to meet that standard, he patiently waits and comes around us. And, and the love never ends, never changes. That, you can't get rid of that. Okay? No matter what you do, that love is always there. and The invitation is always there. But this is where free will comes into play. We can choose to continue walking down that road that's unhealthy and destructive for us. Because remember, sin leads to death. Or we can begin to turn around, which is what repentance means, and confess and come into agreement with how God sees something. And when we do that, the forgiveness of God is released upon us and made available to us. Now, it's always there and it's always available, but we come into agreement with that, which we've done wrong, and it says that we experience forgiveness because God is faithful and just, and he says that that's how it goes. And it says he will forgive us, and that word in Greek means to literally throw something out or cast something out, just to get rid of it is what it means. And that's what God does with our sin. He gets rid of it. He casts it out. There's this beautiful story 
that I heard somebody sharing. And it, it's, uh, it's a story about um, back in, in the 17th century, there was a, uh, a priest, and this priest did something called spiritual direction. And spiritual direction is coming alongside one and helping them see where God is moving in their life, asking questions, joining in prayer, doing an encouraging thing. I, I, got, I went through a training with this. My wife's doing it right now. But there was a man named, named Claude um, who was a renowned spiritual director at the time. And there was a woman who named uh, Margaret Mary. And the story goes like this, that Margaret Mary, uh, and I wasn't there, so I can't confirm that this happened, but it's a really good story. So it's, it, it makes the point. Um, so Margaret Mary came to Claude and, he said, and she said, will you be my spiritual director? Will you direct me? And, and, and he was a busy guy. He had a lot of people that he was directing. And he, and he, he said, well, tell me why you think we, that I should direct you. And, and she's, she's like, well, here you go. Um, actually, I had this vision where Jesus came to me and spoke to me. And Claude was like very skeptical of that. And so he's like, really? And she's like, yeah, I, this is what happened. And he said, okay, I'm willing to be your spiritual director if... Uh, if next time Jesus appears to you, you ask him the question, what was my last sin? And she goes, okay. So she goes away and comes back. And, and he goes, well, I'm assuming since you're back, Jesus appeared to you again. And she said, yep, he sure did. Okay. Uh, did you ask him the question that I asked you to ask him? Yes, I did. What did you ask him? I asked him, what was your last sin? He said, well, what did he say? And he's, he's, she said, Jesus said, I don't remember. And he said, I'll be your spiritual director. So that's what happens. The scriptures tell us, as far as the east is from the west, that that's how God remembers. When we confess our sin, when we come before the Lord, and we, and we, we draw on that, that love, and we draw on that forgiveness, God says, I'm throwing it away, casting it out. Now, probably, if you're like me, uh, we need to learn to be more like God in that way, because we usually hold on to that stuff, and we usually allow it to, to make us feel guilty and bad. So we need to learn to, to function like God does, and to release that thing, when we, when we confess it, to trust that not only does God forgive us, but we have to for, learn to forgive ourselves in that process. And that's, that's what the scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And to cleanse means to purify, to make free from guilt. And that's what John says that, that God does for us. And he goes on to say this in, in, in chapter 2. He says, my dear children, and this is beautiful. This is the first time that John addresses these, the people of these churches as children. And I think it's, that's profound because it speaks to the heart of John and what he wants them to know. He says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. So this is what John says. He, says, he starts with this phrase, my dear children, and then he says, I write to you so that you will not sin, so that you will strive to live a life that, that more and more and more has less and less sin in your life. If you're walking with the Lord and you're maturing in faith, where you started from and the amount of sin in your life should radically decrease as you walk with the Lord. In other words, if you come to know Jesus, let's say, in your teens, 
13, 14, 15. And, and you're now in your 40s. And the amount of sin in your life hasn't changed. I would say there's a problem there. Because slowly over time, what God begins to do is he begins to transform and change your heart. And he begins to show and reveal in your life what needs to be changed, what needs to be brought forward and surrendered and let go. Plus, you fall deeper and deeper in love with God, and you want to do the right thing. As before, when you're, in, when you're living in sin, before you have a relationship with Jesus, it's this, this internal struggle, and really, you don't have much of a choice, because sin is your master, is what the scriptures tell us. But as we give our life to Christ, and we slowly allow the presence of God to transform us and change us into who God wants us to be, more and more we become like Jesus. And we look at the life of Jesus, and obviously he lived without sin. And so the goal is to move in that direction and so that, that sin has less of a hold on our life and, the, and that the Holy Spirit guides our, our life more and more. But he says this, that Jesus is the advocate, is how he describes Jesus. Okay? And that word advocate is actually paraclete in the Greek, which is the exact same word that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit in, other, in the Gospel of John. And, he's, and, and so what is the advocate? What is the paraclete? An advocate is a legal term. It means to stand on behalf of somebody else. So in, in our terms, an advocate would be like a lawyer or an attorney. So if you ever had to go to court, and you would need representation. This is kind of how our, our system works. And, uh, or I should say, at least, if you want a favorable outcome, you need representation. So I've been in courtrooms with people who don't have attorneys, and it usually doesn't go well. Um, and so an attorney stands and represents you to the judge, and he pleads on your for your case on your behalf. That is exactly what Jesus does in his role. He stands on your behalf before the Father pleading your case. Okay? And then it also says that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice. That word atoning sacrifice in the Greek actually is something called halosmos. And in the time of John, halosmos meant two things. It meant one, propitiation, which is a fancy theological word which you can know or not know. Um, the deeper you go, you'll probably come across it, and it's good to know. But, but propitiation in John's time in Asia Minor, in which he writes, means that something, uh, it means to appease an angry God is what it means, propitiation. And so that's one definition. But the other definition is expiation, it's called, and it's directed towards nullifying an issue between a relationship of one party and another party. And so both are true in a way, but, but I think John is leading towards the second, which is to say that Jesus stands next to you in order to reconcile a relationship between two parties. And so he does both those things, is what, is what John is trying to get at. Right? And, and here's what's important that I want us to hear this morning. Atonement for sin, in John's thought, is not reference to God's anger, but his love. Listen, listen to what is said here in 1 John 4.10 and, and John 3.16. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So whenever John uses that word, halasmos, atonement, it's always around reconciliation and the love of God. And then he says, John 3.16, which we all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. 
And so when we think about the consequences of sin and we think about the work of Jesus, it's always for John connected to the love of God. For, the, for John, the cross and exaltation of Jesus is, is the clearest expression of the love of God. Jesus is both the one who stands next to us on our behalf of the judgment of God, the paraclete, and it's a funny side note, when I kept typing this into my notes, it kept changing it to parakeet over and over again. I was like, no, not parakeet, paraclete, but my thing doesn't know Greek very well, and so I have to, I have to make changes. So he's not the parakeet, but the paraclete, the one who stands next to us, and he's the one that provides the way to be restored, the helesterion. So Jesus is both of those things, which is just absolutely mind-blowing and profound. See, it's the heart of God is love. And in that love leads to the desire to forgive and to reconcile all things to himself. That is where God is. That is who God is. God is literally love, and God's desire in his heart is to reconcile the whole world back to himself. That's what he wants to see happen. And that, and that happens, and it can only happen through Jesus. Look at what 1 Peter 3.18 says. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in body, but made alive in the spirit. It was love, not anger, that brought Jesus to the cross. Golgotha came as God's great desire to forgive. Jesus was able on the cross to bring victory through a suffering sacrifice internalizing all evil of mankind so that it could be healed and forgiven. Paul touches on this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was taking into himself all the sin of the world, all the violence, all the fear, all the evil, all the hostility, all the rage, all the anger, all from past to future present. The work makes confession of sin possible. It's that very thing that Jesus did on the cross, that act that makes the forgiveness of God available to us as human beings if we have faith in Jesus. But it's a both-and process. That's why we're not just robots. We have to recognize we have a part to play. The part to play for us is simply the realization of faith that what God did and what God says is true. And if we do that, then we experience the love and the forgiveness of God. The cross and the resurrection are the ground upon which we could know that confession and forgiveness are the realities that transform us. Because Jesus did what he did, and because he rose from the dead, defeating sin and death, we know for sure that we can be forgiven of our sins. That's the invitation for us. That's what John is saying to these churches. But confession involves an objective change in our relationship with God and a subjective change that takes place within us. It's both and. It's God drawing, him, drawing us back to himself. But we need to have that as a regular practice in our life. And I don't know how many of us engage in this on a regular basis. We should. Because James talks about doing this with one another, and I think most of us are content just to do it to ourselves, by ourselves, in the darkness of the closet that, that we get into to pray. But it's so important that we begin to realize, man, when, I, when the Lord shows me something, and it's all this journey begins and ends with God, and whenever God shows something to you or reveals something to you that needs to be forgiven, 
please always see that as an act of love on his part. Because what he's doing is he's inviting you back and he's saying, there's something off in this relationship. And I want this relationship to be the best thing it can be. And so I'm going to guide you and lead you. And I'm going, to, I'm going to bring something up in your life that needs to be let go of. It needs to be confessed. That we need to come into agreement with the fact that this is not right. And when that happens, I'm going to restore you in that area of your life. And we do that and we think, oh, that's amazing. That's so encouraging. And then he's like, that's one of a million. Let's keep going. And you're like, oh, I thought we were good. But each and every time the Lord brings that up, it comes from his compassion and his grace and his mercy. And the invitation is always, okay, I'm making you in to be like my son Jesus. Will you keep going? Okay, I'll keep doing it. Okay, that's good. Will you do it again? Yes, I'll do it again. Will you do it again? Yes. Oh, I slipped up again. That's okay. That's okay. We're farther than we were when we started, but we still have a ways to go. And it's always invitation. It's always grace. It's always come back. It's always be restored. And God has an endless supply of not only love but forgiveness that he loves to dish out to his children. And this is the invitation to us. The, The point is not as Christians to be perfect. The point is to recognize that we can be forgiven. Because Jesus has stood... In our place, and because he stood in our place and continues to stand before us, we could be made, we are and, and have been made right with God. And that's that's the that's the that's what John's trying to say. And that's something that as as followers of Christ, we need to get to. We need to get to that place where we stop beating ourselves up for what we've done. We recognize that God walks with us and is continually inviting us into that reconciliation relationship. And as God does that, he begins to peel things off of our life. And all of a sudden, we begin to see things we haven't seen before. And God can begin to use us in ways he's never used us before. But we can't do that if, A, we don't enter into that process of confession to receive forgiveness and love. And B, after we've been forgiven by God, that we also forgive ourselves. And we also, in the same way, if God doesn't want to remember it, why do you want to? And I can tell you, if you've confessed that and you've surrendered that, now sometimes it's a process and it takes more than one time and it's a mystery, I don't get it, especially around forgiveness and, and, and forgiving others. But if, man, if we've done that, how do we begin to trust that what God's word says is true? That he, if he's let that go, why are you still carrying it around? Because it does nothing but, but harm you to carry it around. And if, and if it keeps coming up in a way, come, bring it back, surrender it to God. And if it keeps coming up, I think we need to begin to realize, maybe this is not God that keeps bringing it up to me. And so even more so, I need to surrender this because I trust that God has, has let it go and sent it where it needs to go. How do I live as though that's true? This is what I want to do. I just want to take a moment to practice this right now, to invite us into a time of prayer. And so, Lauren, if you'd come up and just play in the background, and I'm going to just take us into a time of prayer and ask the Lord to begin to reveal to us, what is it in our life? What is it this morning for us, for you, for me, that, that God is saying, hey, I want you to surrender that to me. I want you to let that go, whatever it might be. 
And it might be around a relationship, it might be a frustration, it might be something that you missed or, or a mistake that you made or whatever it is. And right now we're just going to come before the Lord and lay it at his feet. And we're going to confess it. We're going to come into agreement with what that is. And as the Holy Spirit shows you that thing, simply be thankful for that. Because again, that's an act of love. And then, and then release that. Confess that to God. Father, forgive me for this. And then begin to, to experience the love and the forgiveness of God as we confess those things. So let's do that right now. Father, we are so thankful for the truth that we are forgiven. That we have an advocate in Jesus that laid his life down and shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. For that, we are grateful. Just take a moment on your own right now and just thank, thank God for who he is. Thank you thank him for who Jesus is and the relationship that you have with Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.